Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Up Close with Presbyopia, Novel Emerging Myotic Agents for Aging Eyes. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an educational grant from AbbVie Incorporated. Hi, my name is George Waring. I'm the medical director at the Waring Vision Institute at Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. In the U.S., estimates of presbyopia prevalence range anywhere from 83 to almost 90% for adults aged 45 years or older. We know that this has a very real impact in our day-to-day activities, reading, writing, using mobile phones, the inconvenience of glasses and contact lenses, and of course, the costs associated purchasing them, but also in those parts of the world that don't have ready access to these, this is also something that can affect their livelihood. What are some of the available presbyopia treatments? We have fixed and variable focus glasses and contact lenses bifocals, trifocals, multifocal contact lenses. Spectacles are something that we, many of us are used to or, and require and do not have the surgical risk associated, but they do require separate pairs for near and distance vision, and these may have to be replaced frequently. Bifocals, trifocals, regressive lenses are expensive and associated with peripheral blur, restricted visual fields, and impaired depth perception, which can negatively impact driving and occupational tasks. In contact lenses with monovision or multifocal contact lenses can also lead to a reduction in stereopsis contrast sensitivity. And also this requires a neural adaptation. They can be difficult to maintain due to age-related and contact lens-related dry eye. And then surgical interventions, whether this is a corneal-based treatment with blended vision or what's become one of the most popular things we do in our surgical practice for presbyopia, which is a custom lens replacement, surgical options also have risk. Although the risks are extraordinarily low, we can still require a neuroadaptive period with laser vision correction for blended vision. We have the adaption period to the special implants that are used to restore reading vision where we see dysphotopsias and some reduced contrast sensitivity. Despite the options, there's an unmet therapeutic need for these patients. So this creates an opportunity for something in between. And now we have a pharmacologic opportunity, and we're going to dive into this with more detail in our next session. Well, let's dive into the presbyopia correcting meiotic drop landscape. We now have the first and only FDA-approved eye drop for the treatment of age-related blurry near vision with the AGN190584 1.25% pilocarpine with a proprietary FAST technology. This has now received FDA approval for a topical eye drop for the treatment of presbyopia. As more and more data emerges, we're excited to see additional offerings coming through the pipeline, such as the phase three study for the safety and efficacy of one and 2% pilocarpine with the OptiJet dispenser. So this has paved the way for multiple other technologies that work in similar ways. There's combinations of agents, such as carbacol and bromonidine, acyclidine, and various concentrations of pilocarpine but we're also seeing multiple delivery modes and innovative delivery strategies emerging. And so this is really exciting. But a lot of this hinges around the meiotic properties 
these different cholinergic agonists and alpha antagonists to increase depth of focus by reducing the pupil diameter. So essentially, meiotic drops, we're all familiar with them. They induce a pinhole effect that allows for more focused light rays on the retina, thereby sharpening distance and near images. The meiotic drops have been shown to be highly effective, easily reversible, and relatively low risk. They can have side effects, and these tend to be low and self-limited, but they have been reported as mild brow aches, accommodative spasms, some hyperemia, some dimming to the vision, and historically retinal detachment has been reported. Single-agent cholinergic myotics may have more an issue with some of these side effects than combination drops, but this remains to be seen. So very, very exciting when we look at the innovative landscape and what's coming down the innovative pipeline. The pipeline is rich with multiple topical therapeutic options for the treatment of age-related blurry near vision. So we're going to look in our next session at the evidence that has been the foundation for allowing these FDA approvals and seeing how these different technologies work. This session is going to provide a clinical interpretation of the available efficacy data for emerging late-stage myotic agents, including their impacts on near and distance visual acuity. Looking at the efficacy of the Gemini 1 FDA trial for AGN190584 or pilocarpine 1.25% with a proprietary vehicle. What we found was that the study met its primary endpoints with a significant proportion of participants gaining three lines of distance corrected near in mesopic binocular distance corrected near visual acuity with no more than a five letter loss in corrected distance visual acuity relative to placebo. This year at ASCRS, there were multiple abstracts that looked at all different aspects in terms of primary endpoints that we had the opportunity to present with safety and efficacy, as well as secondary endpoints, understanding the utility of AGN190584 1.25% pilot carpine with a proprietary vehicle. We have observed a real-world experience that mirrors what we published in the FDA results. We've now administered this to many, many individuals with presbyopia. And speaking from personal experience, I found a rapid onset. When we look at some of the non-yet-approved upcoming treatments, such as CSF1, the trial results are very, very encouraging. This was also reported ASCRS this year, was statistically significantly improved relative to vehicle with almost 50% of patients getting a three-line or greater improvement relative to baseline. And when we look at greater than two lines, that number jumps up to 80% and also highly statistically significant relative to vehicle. So very encouraging early and preliminary results. And we look forward to the phase three trial data. So we now have published safety and efficacy data for the topical treatment of age-related blurry near vision, and we have emerging data to look forward to soon. So in the next session, we're going to discuss the safety profile for current and emerging meiotic agents, including practical strategies for side effect management. In this session, we're going to discuss the safety considerations as well as optimizing outcomes with the commercially available meiotic agents. And we're going to report the safety profiles of emerging late-stage meiotic agents, including practical strategies for side effect management.
when we looked at our published paper on the side effect profile for AGN190584, 1.25% pilot carpine with a proprietary vehicle, we found the side effect profile to be excellent. They are, were rare but reported side effects such as conjunctival hyperemia, some visual blur, and things like a brow ache, and some dimming of vision. But this was uncommon. And in fact, we also saw similar side effects in the vehicle groups. Importantly, no participants discontinued the study in Gemini 1 due to headaches, and there were no serious treatment adverse events occurring during the treatment period. This was a short-term study, a 30-day trial as required by the agency. But the similar safety profile was also observed in a twice-daily study in the Virgo trial, which we look forward to seeing published in the peer-review literature in the not-too-distant future. When we look at the safety CSF1, the phase 2b results demonstrate a favorable safety and tolerability profile. This was reported to be well-tolerated upon installation and at all measure time points. And when we looked at discomfort assessment in terms of what has been reported in the study eye and the control eye, we found that this was also well-tolerated with a visual analog scale over up to one hour post-installation. Now, we may discuss which patients may be candidates for the currently available myotic agents and how that might vary for emerging myotic agents in the future and how to counsel patients on choosing treatment options that work best for them. In our final session, we're going to discuss which patients would be good candidates for a pharmacological agent for the treatment of presbyopia, specifically using myotic agents. The emetropes have been accustomed to great vision their whole life, and we now have emetropes that may be iatrogenic. They had their ametropia corrected with a laser vision correction procedure. This is important because they have an expectation to not need glasses or contact lenses. Plus, if this was one of the early laser ablation profiles, there can be more higher-order aberrations and some unwanted nighttime vision disturbances. That's another place where the myotic agents can really shine in terms of blocking out unwanted higher-order aberrations. Hyperopes, particularly the low hyperope, may want to improve their vision for distance and near. Pseudofakes monofocals and or presbyopia correcting IOL patients can benefit from myotic agents. The monofocal patients can improve their distance in their reading. The presbyopia correcting IOLs also may reduce dysphotopsia. Typically, we tend to choose laser vision correction for younger myopes, high myopes that may be contraindicated for lens replacement or even myotic agents due to a history of any risk factor for retinal detachment. Conversely, for hyperopes, we tend to do custom lens replacement much earlier. But for the incipient planopresbio that's starting to learn about the mild forms of presbyopia, the myotic agents work beautifully. How do we counsel these patients? First off, we look at the risk factors. Typically, the low incidence of side effects and improve over a week or two, and the efficacy also improves over a week or two. So we like to have patients try it at home in a comfortable setting before going to work. And then we do a detailed retinal exam with detailed retinal photography, and also we talk about retinal detachment precautions.
Now, we've covered the broad range of the emerging meiotic agents for the treatment of presbyopia. We've also looked at the current treatment options in our different ways that we think about treating presbyopia, depending on the stages of lens dysfunction. We've looked at the emerging pipeline and the currently commercially available topical options with meiotic agents. We've studied the published data on the safety and the efficacy and the tolerability of the current available drops and future drops. And we've also talked about decision-making and real-world experience with this. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.